Hi, welcome to this fresh teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David, I'm the pastor of Foundation Church and today we're returning to the book of Ezra in the Old Testament in our study called Restoration, looking at God's restoring work as his people return to worship. And we've already seen in the first six chapters uh, the first wave of returning exiles back from Babylon where they were in captivity to the homeland of Jerusalem. And we've seen over the last few weeks there's been much opposition and frustration, but eventually, last week in chapter 6, we saw that they finished the temple uh, and they reconstructed it, a restored worship, and there was great jubilation and joy sweeping across the community. And so now we see, uh, we're coming to chapter 7, and in steps for the first time, the man by the name of Ezra. Now the entire book is called Ezra, but he only actually makes an appearance in chapter 7. And one of the reasons for that is that he is considered to be a giant uh, by subsequent generations. Uh, in fact, he was referred to at times as the second Moses. So significant was his role in the people of Israel. But between chapter 6 and chapter 7, some scholars reckon that about 60 years has elapsed from the time of the completion of the temple to the second wave uh, of returning exiles led by Ezra. And as we've been seeing over the, the weeks, we've seen from the beginning of all this, God's hand at work, his organizing, uh, his stirring, his equipping of his people. And we see much the same in this same chapter over and over again, this, the story of the faithfulness of God, his power at work in restoration. Uh, but today, uh, what we're going to do is, is focus our study on some of the standout features of this great leader called Ezra. And so what we're going to see today are three qualities of an extraordinarily effective kingdom builder. Three qualities. And here they are up front. Firstly, passionate pursuit of God. The second quality of an extraordinarily effective kingdom builder is that they are influential in their context. And thirdly and finally, they apply courage to their calling. So that first quality of an extraordinarily effective kingdom builder is this, passionate pursuit of God. And, and, and the idea with all this is that when we see uh, the kind of man Ezra was, if, if, if we reflect those qualities in our own lives, then we ourselves, by the grace of God, can become extraordinarily effective in his work of building his kingdom in our generation. Do you want that? I want that. So let's dig in, let's learn. First of all, number one, passionate pursuit of God. Uh, where do we get this from? The key verse in chapter 7 is in verse 10. Let me read it to you. It says, For Ezra, this great man, set his heart to study the law of God, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's what he did. He passionately pursued God. He, it says he set his heart. That, we know what that means. That means you put your all into something. It means you give everything you have to serve the purpose, right? Uh, you, you're devoted to it. And so it says here that Ezra, for his deepest motivation in all of this, in all of his leadership, was to know God. Is that, I wonder if that is your deepest motivation, if, particularly if you're a, a believer in Jesus and if you're a, one of our regulars at Foundation Church. Is that your deepest motivation in all of life, to know 
God? Is it said of you by other people? Here is a man or a woman after God's own heart. Here is someone who is really serious about knowing God and, and, and talking about God. If not, just straight off the bat, if not, then why don't you ask God to make it your deepest motivation? Because he will if you are sincere about asking. But after asking God to, to please change my heart and make you my deepest motivation and, and my deepest desire, then, then, then go on and do it. He will change your heart. But in order to receive the gift, you have to unwrap it. You have to take steps. Um, for example, it's, it's one thing wanting to go to the gym. I always want to go to the gym. I like the idea of going to the gym. Uh, I agree with the benefits of going to the gym for your body and for your mind. It's, it's a good thing. Everybody agrees that it's a good thing. But you actually have to go to the gym and start exercising and working out to receive those benefits. You've got to do the gym. That's, 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 something, I have to, that's something we have to do. Uh, that's on us, right? So much the same way. Uh, we can agree with the idea of being passionate for God, but we, there are steps that we must take in order to receive that and, and to live in the truth of that. And what are those steps? We have those in verse 10. Uh, this magnificent quality of pursuing God. So what's the, first, what's the thing that Ezra did? Uh, what, what, what was he known for? Well, first of all, it says in verse 10, he set his heart to study the law of God, or the law of the Lord, the law of Yahweh. He set his heart to study. That means he, he, he poured himself out. He poured over uh, the text of, of the Old Testament law, as we would call it now. He, he gave it close attention. Um, this for him was not just some sort of passing familiarity, something he picked up when he was at Sunday school as a kid and just sort of retained a bit of it. No, no, this is, this is an ongoing, hungering, absorbing, receiving, reflecting on the Word of God in the Old Testament law. Uh, he was devoting his energy, his time, his resources. Uh, for, for Ezra, it meant not doing other things so that he could prioritize pursuing God through his word, through the written law. Uh, at Foundation Church, we, we want people, we want to be a people who are full of, of people who are passionately pursuing God. That's what we want to be. That's why we shape our Sundays around God's word, written word in the Bible. That's why we read it out loud. That's why we listen to it as, 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 as uh, members of the community. That's why we teach from it. That's why we read the Bible together outside of Sundays in our community Bible reading groups. Or if you've been doing Alpha recently, perhaps it's your Bible in one year um, Bible reading plan. This is why we do this, because we want to be a people who are passionately pursuing God. And as Ezra is showing here, we do that through giving careful study to his written word in the Bible. You know, Foundation Church is part of a network of churches, a movement of churches called Advance, the Advance Movement, uh, a series of uh, like-minded churches across the globe uh, committed to planting and strengthening churches. And it's awesome to be a part of something larger than ourselves. Uh, but one of the great resources that they give us is the Advanced Theology course. Uh, it's a course that's freely available in order to equip uh, churches and, and, and communities with um, 
biblical teaching, biblical knowledge, uh, biblical training. And one of the benefits of the Advanced Theology course, not only is it free, which is a great benefit, um, but it helps us to see all the parts of the Bible and how they all relate together, how they form the whole. It helps us to see Jesus in every part of the scripture from uh, right at the start of Genesis right through to Revelation. Well worth looking at. Links will be available in the program notes. Please do come and, and chat to me if that's something you would love to learn more about. Uh, but there are many other routes, of course, to studying, uh, um, knowing God through his word, theological training, courses available, home study modules, all sorts of things. But listen, with all that in mind, nothing beats the slow, consistent, daily reading and reflecting on God's word in the Bible. Nothing beats it. Take a chapter a day and read through bit by bit, day after day. Nothing beats that. Studying God's word is one of the ways that we passionately pursue God. But Ezra didn't just study the law. He set his heart on the law. But it says, secondly, the other way that he becomes passionately, passionately pursuing God uh, is that he set his heart to do it. He studied it, but he did it. He did the word, so to speak. He he he. Yes, reading the scriptures. Yes, loads and loads of gleanings and insights and learnings. But he didn't stop there. And neither should we. He started obeying what he was reading. He started to walk it out into every area of his life. Think of it like this. We, we can, in order to understand the, the, the beautiful game of football, we can pick up the, the FIFA rule book, the manual uh, by the governing body, and we can read all the rules and we can study it very closely. And we can know more about the rules of football than any other person by studying intently and, and memorizing it. But the idea with that is to truly understand football is to actually play the game in order to know football you've got to get in the game and so in order to uh, know God and passionately pursue him it's more than just knowing about him it's getting in the game it's doing the word as Ezra shows here and we addressed this very issue very carefully um, in our one of our previous teaching series called Real Religion looking through the, the New Testament uh, letter by James uh, called Real Religion. And the reason why we spend a lot of time looking at this is because churches and Christians, rightly or wrongly, uh, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, have a reputation, can do, for being full of hypocrites. Christians uh, can be you know, judged as hypocrites. Um, saying they believe all this stuff and learning all this knowledge, but yet their lives show and their practice show that they don't really believe what they say they believe in. They're horrible people. They are hypocrites. They turn blind eyes to injustice and oppression and all sorts of forms. But for those who are passionately pursuing God, they study the word of God and they practice it. They do it, as Ezra shows us. In fact, when you're being transformed and when you're doing the word of God and obeying the word of God, it shows that you're reading it properly. God's word, because you see, God's word is powerful, it is transformative, it makes you a better person the more you read it, um, because of the work of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, making us more like Jesus. The, 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 the Bible is God's uh, instrument, 
as the Holy Spirit's instrument for your transformation, making you more like Jesus. The, the, the scripture calls that sanctification. James, the, uh, the writer of the book that we referred to, St. James, said, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Instead, he says, your religion must lead you to life change. It must lead you to looking after the poor and the vulnerable in your community. It must lead you to living good, uh, moral and upright lives. In summary, he says, take God's word and apply it to all of your life. And that's what happens when we passionately pursue God. So Ezra studies the word, he does the word. And thirdly, it says he sets his heart to teach the word teach the statutes and rules in Israel. That's what he does. Passes it on. Yes, Ezra had outstanding gifting in leadership, in, in teaching. This was one of the main reasons he was famous. He was, he was educated. He was trained to be a great teacher. And indeed, he was. And yes, we are variously gifted in teaching. Some people wonderfully gifted others of us feel that our gifting isn't that strong or maybe we don't have a gifting at all but what i'm saying here is not about gifting in and of itself but we're talking about a passionate pursuit of god we're talking about the basic and fundamental part of being passionately pursuing god is commending the gospel message of jesus to those around us taking it teaching it, reasoning it, the good news of Jesus his, about his life, his death, his resurrection and the implications that that has for, for us, the, the speaker and those, the listeners, in all manner of different ways. That's how we teach. That's how we passionately pursue God, by, by, uh, by propagating this message. Passionate pursuit of God, you see, includes communication of the message. You see this in verse 10, the gospel message. And of course, it's going to happen in various settings. But effective kingdom builders teach, they communicate somehow or other, the good news of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And yes, this might happen in formal teaching roles, like what I'm doing now, the sort of preaching ministry. It might happen in other ministry positions within the organized gathering of the local church. But most likely, for all of us, it involves directly commending and teaching the gospel in our ordinary or our organic, everyday relationships. Um, it might be in our, within our families, um, to, our, to our, our siblings and our parents and, and, and maybe um, wider family circles. Um, if you're married, it means communicating the gospel uh, and its implications to our spouse. If you're a parent, it means communicating and passing it on to our children, grandparents, to your grandchildren, multiple other areas. But it starts there. It starts with the organic, ordinary relationships that God places us in. We're not talking necessarily about uh, um, unique teaching ministries here. All of us passionately pursuing God need to communicate this message in order to be effective kingdom builders. You know, church history is full of people, full of stories of people who have passionately pursued God and how God has wonderfully built out his kingdom through those who just say, I'm going to go after you and you alone. You are my number one. You are my deepest motivation, my greatest desire. I want 
God and God alone. They make it their business to know him, to understand him, to receive his revelation, to, to take it seriously. And such people, as I said, become extraordinary and effective in building the kingdom of God. So just think for a second as we close out this, this section. If you actually know God and you experience the, the intimacy of relationship with him, and you're invigorated and animated by an experience of God, by knowledge of him, a working knowledge of him, then you can be a powerful instrument in building God's kingdom. How does that sound? Well, the second quality of an extraordinarily effective kingdom builder is that they are influential in their context. Influential in their context. There's a, there's a flow, there's an order. Um, you go from passionate pursuit of God. You never leave there, but passionate pursuit of God is where it starts. And as you grow in that, you become more influential in your context, no matter what that context is. Um, but it's important that we understand this. When I when I talk about influence, I'm talking about kingdom influence, influence for the kingdom of God, not just influence per se. Uh, Dale Carnegie famously wrote a book. Uh, with this title, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's all about how to influence people uh, to achieve your purposes. Uh, even today, we talk about social media influencers. These are people who build up a following on largely Instagram, um, and yet they, they, they seem to uh, sell their influence to companies to promote their products. Uh, but what we're not talking about here is influence that has ourselves at the center our own fame, our own personal gain. That's not the kind of influence I'm talking about here. That's not the influence that Ezra had. What we're talking about is influence for and in the kingdom of God, for his purposes, for his kingdom. Necessarily, that's in the center of the influence, not ourselves. But to be an extraordinarily effective kingdom builder, uh, we must be influential in our context. Ezra, uh, back to Ezra, who's a scribe, that means he's a scholar, um, he was skilled, it says, in the law of Moses. And we've seen that already. We've seen how he makes knowing God and pursuing him the supreme focus of his life. And with that then, as we will start to see, he gained kingdom influence. He became renowned as, as being a man of wisdom, uh, of learnedness, of knowledge. He was reliable. He was level-headed. In fact, it tells us he was influential at the very highest levels of Persian society. In verse 28 of chapter 7, it says that he enjoyed um, favour uh, before the king and his counsellors. Uh, this is the king of Persia. And before all the king's mighty officers. Don't forget, this was, uh, this was the ruling superpower. He, the, the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, was the most powerful man in the known world at that stage. And there's Ezra exercising uh, kingdom influence within the royal courts of Persia, the highest levels of society. And he became influential in his context. And as a result, he was chosen by the king and by the royal courts to lead the second wave of God's restoration plan, the second wave of uh, Israelites back to Babylon, uh, back to Jerusalem, pardon me. And as we've, if you take chapter 7 and have a good read of that, you'll see that most of chapter 7 is built out as another letter from Artaxerxes the king to Ezra personally, authorizing 
and validating Ezra's role as the leader of the second wave. And, and Ezra is, is, shows us he's given favor. He's given finances from the, from the king. Uh, he is charged to ensure that, that, that Israel worship by the book. He's a man of the book. Make sure you worship by the book, says the king. He's told to reform society. He's told to shape culture. Just goes to show how influential Ezra was to be given this mighty task from the king of Persia, which ultimately came from God himself. And we might think to ourselves as we read this and hear this story of Ezra and, and how fortunate he was that he just seemed to be in the right place at the right time. And of course, as we, we read this, we have much awareness of, of God's providence, of God's decree taking place. We saw all this last week and, and weeks before that. Um, there's much of this that, that Ezra could not have orchestrated on his own. God's favour on him and on his situation was obvious when you read chapter 7. But Ezra was influential in his context because as he developed his passionate pursuit of God, he increased in notable influence wherever he was placed. We see that throughout scripture. We see that in, in the story of Joseph, for example, in, 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 the, in the later parts of Genesis. He passionately pursued God and rose in influence as time went on. You might think to yourself, well, that's, that's not me. Um, this is for people who are occupying the elite roles in society. In fact, let's be fair, few of us who are listening to this will ever occupy such high office as we see Ezra here in this text. But think about it for a second. All of life is interconnected somehow or other. That's the way life works. Uh, we don't work and operate and, and, and exist as, as separate entities, but all of life is connected. It's the way society works. I mean, it's the way that the families work, connected to one another, positively or negatively, so to speak. It's the way the marketplace works. There's interconnectedness. And therefore, whoever we are, whatever position we are in society or in family or in work or whatever it happens to be, because we are connected, because that's the way life works, we all have some level of influence. So the question is, not do I have influence, but how do I go from influence to being influential, to exercising that influence for the kingdom of God? And the point I want to try and get across here, and I think we see this in Ezra 7, is that the more you passionately pursue God, the more you will become influential in your context. The more your passionate pursuit of God plays out in your life, the more you will see opportunities to be extraordinarily effective in kingdom building. The more you allow uh, your personal pursuit of God to lead you to becoming influential in your, cult, in your context, the more God will grant you kingdom influence. It just seems to be the, the case. We see that here in Ezra and, and, and my own experience is, is of that too. And I, so many other people, we'll look at them in a second. The more we passionately pursue God, the more he grants kingdom influence. I've been able to read a bit more in this, this season, certainly uh, because of lockdown and a few other uh, reasons, but uh, that's been wonderful. And I, I've been so stirred by reading accounts 
whether it's biogra- biographies or other, other books, um, of remarkable people who have been so influential in their contexts when it comes to the kingdom of God. They have been extraordinarily effective uh, as kingdom builders when they passionately pursue God. I read the, the two-part uh, biography of George Whitfield, who back in the 1700s changed the shape of Christianity in, in Britain and in America right up until this present day. So influential was he. But the thing that stands out about Whitfield and his life is that he is someone who passionately pursued God and he preached the gospel to anyone who would listen. And tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people listened to him and were shaped and changed by his gospel message, his simple gospel message. But he he did the word as well. He built schools. He built orphan houses. He started churches. He was someone who was extraordinarily effective at kingdom building. I read the account of a man called William Duma that I'd never heard of before. He was a quiet Zulu man from South Africa during the age of apartheid. He was someone who passionately pursued God. Incredible. He hungered after God alone and was used in remarkable ways. Uh, The account of his life was written down um, a few years ago and it just shows moment after moment, powerful signs and wonders being performed like something out of the New Testament, out of the book of Acts. It is incredible. William Duma. I read the story of Andy Davis, who is a pastor in the USA, and how he passionately pursued God. And yet he went through the long, slow and incredibly painful process of revitalizing a dying church in North Carolina, in Raleigh, North Carolina. That church now is a flourishing, multiplying, influential church in that state, impacting many people for the gospel. But it was his passionate pursuit of God that sustained him through his incredible, difficult and challenging times. I read the story of John Wimber, of Terry Virgo, of Gerald Coates, these are, these are men who led the, the uh, charismatic renewals of the you know, beginning in the 1960s and 70s. These are, these are people who passionately pursued God, who listened to his voice and went wherever it took them. Many, many more passionate pursuit of God led to influence in their context. And all of these, all of these accounts that I've been reading and many more... Um, show that when these people passionately pursued God, they just started where they were. They didn't, none of them waited until they were placed by God in a high office. They didn't think to themselves, well, when I become influential, then I'll start exercising you know, some influence for the kingdom of God. No, they started where they were. And that's one thing that, that I want to encourage you with today. Start where you are. As you passionately pursue God, he will grant you influence for his kingdom. Start where you are. Open your eyes. Look around you. But you know, for every famous story that ends up in a book, there are thousands of stories that are never told. Uh, few accounts of extraordinary effectiveness in kingdom building. Few accounts make it into books. But to be extraordinarily effective in kingdom building does not mean that books must be written about you. It means that you are used by God 
in whatever context you're in to build his kingdom. You may not end up in a book. I may not end up in a book. Probably not. But that's the way of the gospel, right? And that's not our primary aim. It's not about my influence. It's about God and his kingdom. The way of the gospel is the good news of Jesus and ultimately about him and his glory and his fame and his influence and his renown. And so any influence that we have is for his influence. Any opportunities that we have is for him. It's not to build our own kingdoms or our own churches or our own name, our own brand. It's influencing for the kingdom of God, for the name of Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel. So ask yourself right now as we close out this section, where are you currently connected? Where are you connected? As we've said, all of life is interconnected. You can't do life without being connected to someone or something somehow or other. Where are you connected? Where, where are you already enjoying influence? Where has God placed you? Your work, your family, of course, your, your neighborhood, your social circles. Where do you have influence? And what do you need? Second thing, what do you need to do to grow in that influence, to become influential? What do you need to do? Start there. Passionate pursuit of God will increase your kingdom influence and will be the starting blocks for you becoming an extraordinarily effective kingdom builder. Well, the third and final quality of an extraordinarily effective kingdom builder is that they apply courage to their calling. Courage to the calling. Ezra had a, a huge task ahead of him. There's no doubt about that. He had a great calling. It was, it was from God to Ezra, uh, but it came through the Persian king. And, and as we've already seen, his calling was to oversee religious reform in the old lands of Judah, the original place where the people of Israel came from. Um, in more detail, what did that mean? Well, for him, as, as this letter from the king states, he was to Ezra was to ensure um, a healthy, faithful, powerful worship took place in Jerusalem. It was to be worshipped by the book. That's why he was chosen, because he was a, an expert in the law, the book. Not only that, he was to teach God's laws, to instruct the ignorant or the forgetful or the lazy. He was to train priests and Levites and, and the worship leaders and the temple workers to make sure they knew their role and they were excellently equipped to serve, uh, serve the people in their ministry. He was to reform society um, by instituting legal and judiciary systems so that the people may live in, in law and order. Uh, he had ministered and almost became chancellor of the royal finances and the tax system. What a weight, what a calling, what an enormous job for one man to do. And what huge potential to mess the whole thing up. Just imagine that if power went to his head or he started to put himself in the center of his influence. Imagine the disaster that could have happened. So what did Ezra do? How did he respond to this great calling that he had received from God and, and through the king of Persia? Well, it says that he surveyed all that had happened to him. 
He drew on the, the resources of his learning, all that he knew of God, all of his personal dealings with God. I love in verse 28, it says this. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. He, he saw God's hand in all of this. He knew God. He experienced him and so therefore he took courage. He knew that this was of God. And when God's in it, as we've been saying, it shall happen. When God decrees it, it is good. He took courage. The message translation of the Bible puts it like this. Verse 28, God was on my side. I was ready to go. That's what courage does. It, it stirs you up. It strengthens you and it makes you, uh, puts you into the poise of readiness Sometimes we, we can see our calling, whatever it may be. We can sense our calling. We know that the Lord is calling us to do something for him, to live out a certain way for him. But we can be easily swallowed up by fear. You know, fear of failure, disappointing the Lord. Fear of being less than perfect. And so we're rooted, frozen to the spot. Fear of somehow going against God as we live out our calling by messing it all up. But extraordinarily effective kingdom builders apply courage to their calling. I've really enjoyed reading a book by a guy called Chris Barron, who is a leader at Christ Church Manchester, a group of churches in the great city of Manchester. And he writes about how at Christ Church Manchester, they have what they call a have a go culture. Um, and he describes this as, as freedom to be creative, uh, to be innovative, as they obey their calling to go and multiply gospel communities and um, gospel influence across the city of Manchester. And, and uh, they are bold. Uh, they are extraordinarily effective kingdom builders. They say God is on our side. We are ready to go. They take courage when they read about God and they experience God and they see him at work. They take courage. So they have this have-a-go culture. For them, there is no fear. There's no, no worry about messing it up. There's no condemnation. And it just proves to be superbly effective in their ministry in that city. Just imagine taking that attitude with you into work. Have-a-go. Imagine using a bit of courage in your spheres of influence, wherever that may be, large or small, great or humble. Take courage when you know and experience God is at work. Apply faith. Who knows what might happen? Because effective, extraordinarily effective kingdom builders apply faith to their calling, apply courage to their calling. That's where it starts. You know, I, I am convinced that the main reason that we lack power and effectiveness as the church in general is because we lack courage. We're afraid. And so to counteract that, to, to reverse the decay, it starts with our passionate pursuit of God. It leads to our growing influence in our various contexts and it calls forth courage 
what a, what a powerful set of qualities it is. How, how that can effectively build the kingdom of God. People like that. How do I, how do I get this courage? Where does it come from? How do, I, how do I sense that God is on my side? You might ask yourself. How do I know that I'm ready to go when I feel the, the wind uh, of his spirit behind me? Well, we've seen all about passionate pursuit of God. We've seen what it means to be influential in our current context, whatever they are. But now, courage. And Jesus says, if you lack anything, then ask. Keep asking. If you lack courage, ask for courage. You know, I've, I've been praying for boldness and courage and confidence in the gospel for many months, even years. And it didn't arrive in some sort of instant download where I woke up one morning and suddenly felt full of confidence like a warrior. That's not how it happened. But guess what? As I've been praying that prayer and looking uh, for the interventions of God's spirit in my life, I have been increasingly growing in boldness and confidence and fearlessness. Not that I'm 100% or I'm, I'm there yet, but I've noticed that that has increased and increased and increased the more I've been asking and hungering for courage for the name of Jesus. Fresh vision he's given me, fresh faith uh, for my place of work, for my spheres of influence. So ask if you are lacking in courage and keep on asking and God will provide it for you. In fact, as we close out here, perhaps the biggest thing that you can do right now is pray for courage. Pray for courage. It, because it will likely be the spark in a carefully constructed fire of dry wood. Courage can set your heart on fire. It can bring you power and energy. So ask God. And keep on asking. And as you ask, start to walk it out. Start living more courageously. You have the promises of God. You have the decrees of God. We've seen that. You have the gospel of Jesus, the one who conquered sin and death and the devil and rose from the grave. You have the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, pushing you forward, equipping you, strengthening you. So what are you waiting for? Ask for courage. And anyone who asks, says Jesus, shall receive.